Hopelessness is a terrible thing, isn't it? I mean, hopelessness kills people. It destroys their bodies, their emotions, their soul, their spirit. People face hopelessness. They become discouraged, depressed, suicidal. What I believe about Easter is that the resurrection of Jesus Christ brings us hope. It brings hope into the most hopeless situations. And for us to understand that today, what I want to do, I want us to go back and look at a couple incidents in the life of Jesus 2,000 years ago, and then I want us to move forward to today and see what Jesus can do for us today. Because I believe where Jesus is, hope is reborn. So we're going to go back actually to the, to the ancient city of Jericho in Israel. Today, uh, Jericho is a thriving city in southern Israel. 2,000 years ago, uh, at the time of Jesus, there was actually, there were actually two cities of Jericho. One was a, um, a Jewish city, very close to the ruins of that original Jericho that God had knocked down the walls of. Remember when Joshua was leading the Israelites into the promised land, you know, a thousand, fourteen hundred years before the time of Jesus. So there's that city of Jericho. And then Herod, who was the king, had built another city of Jericho just about a mile away from that one that he sort of used as a summer retreat. And very often when people were up in Galilee in the northern area of Israel, rather than coming down to Jerusalem by going through Samaria, they would cross over to the other side of the Jordan River, come down on the east side of the Jordan, and then cross over at Jericho, and then go from Jericho up to Jerusalem. So in some ways, because there was a lot of traffic through there, it was a great place for a beggar. And a blind beggar is who we're going to be looking at for these next few minutes. His story is found in the, uh, in the book of, of Luke, chapter uh, 9, verse 46 is where I'm going to start reading. And have we got it here? I maybe said the wrong reference. Let me start reading. So then they came to Jericho. This is Jesus and his, uh, his followers. They came to Jericho, and as Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, that is the son of Timaeus, was sitting on the roadside begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called to the blind man, Cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. So throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. And the blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Interesting that uh, the Bible tells us the name of this blind man. It says his name is Bartimaeus. Bar means son of, and Timaeus would have been his father's name, and that's a word that means noble. But as we can all imagine, there's nothing noble about having to sit in the dirt every day begging, trying to look pathetic enough that maybe people will throw a few coins your way. 
One of the things that we noticed when uh, when Sally and I were in Israel is how much begging still goes on today in Israel. Every time we would stop someplace, there would just be dozens of children especially who'd come up holding out their hands saying, half shekel, half shekel, wanting a half shekel. I mean, that was how Bartimaeus was living his life, and it was a hopeless life. Bartimaeus knew it was not going to get any better. There was nothing that was going to improve his situation. In fact, if anything, it was just going to get worse. And there he sits in the dirt with his hand outstretched, half shekel, half shekel. And then he hears a crowd coming, and he doesn't know what it is. And he begins to hear people talking, and he realizes that it's Jesus, the Nazarene, who's coming. And suddenly, to those eyes that have never seen the sun or the colors of a sunset, maybe was born just the slightest glimmer of light in the eyes of his mind. Maybe, maybe there was just a little bit of hope. Maybe this one Jesus who was coming, maybe the stories were true about him. Maybe he was not only a man of God, but he had the power of God in his hands. And in desperation, Barabbas begins to call out to him, Son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. And of course the crowd tells him to be quiet, shut up old man, don't bother Jesus. Jesus is walking along and all the noise of the crowd, you know, there may have been hundreds of people there walking with him, but Jesus zeroes in on that one voice of that one man sitting in the dirt calling Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon me. And so Jesus stops and he says, call him. So they go over to Bartimaeus and they say, okay, come on, get up. The master wants you to come to him. And it says he threw off his cloak. He probably had the cloak laid out kind of in his lap so that people could throw the coins into it. Suddenly the coins don't matter so much anymore. He takes the cloak and he throws it to the side and he jumps up and they take him and they lead him by the hand. And even though he can't see him, he knows that Jesus is right there in front of him. And Jesus says to him, what do you want me to do for you? Now, Jesus is no genie in a bottle. Jesus isn't going around granting three wishes, you know, so be careful what you wish for. Jesus is wanting to know the intent of this man's heart. What, what do you want from me? What can I do for you? And I imagine at that point, Bartimaeus falls to his knees. He says, Master, I just... I want to see. I want to be able to see. What else in his life mattered at all? What other thing could he possibly want? Jesus, I am so desperate. I want to be able to see. And Jesus says, get up, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And instantly his sight comes back to him. Can you imagine being blind your whole life and the first sight you ever see in your whole life is looking up into the face of Jesus? I mean, here was a man whose life was as hopeless, I think, as anybody's could possibly be until Jesus comes. And when Jesus comes, hope is restored. You know, I think sometimes the reason that life seems so hopeless is because of the circumstances just, you know, deal us a bad hand. Things that we have no control over. Maybe it's like for Bartimaeus, disease and 
injury and illness just rob us of all the hope in our life and it just seems like nothing gets any better and you know that that's how your life is going to be the rest of your life. Sometimes it's because the company you work for is downsizing and all of a sudden you're in the unemployment line because of the recession, you know, and your savings are gone and your house isn't worth half of what it used to be. And life begins to just kind of spiral down and down and down and it seems so hopeless. And you would try anything, but there's nothing left to try. Have you ever been in that situation? Are you in that situation today? Is there some area of your life where you just feel, there's nothing I can do. It's hopeless. I believe that when Jesus comes, hope is reborn. Let's go back to uh, to Jericho again. This time a story of a different man, same location. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. And when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and began to mutter, "Ah, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, Here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too was the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. What do we know about Zacchaeus from this story? Well, we know he's not just a tax collector. He is the chief tax collector. That means all the other tax collectors in the area worked for Zacchaeus. And we know later on that he was a dishonest tax collector. One of the issues that they dealt with was the fact that the tax collectors could charge as much tax as they could get. And as long as Rome got their cut, they could get away with it. And it was an amazing thing that even though Zacchaeus, excuse me, even though Zacchaeus was Jewish, that in a sense he had turned his back on his people. He was working for Rome. Do you ever grumble about paying taxes? It's that time of year, isn't it? You know, I do. I grumble about paying taxes and about how my taxes are used. And my taxes are going to my own government. Imagine what it would be like being forced to pay exorbitant taxes even though you have very little. And it's being given to some enemy government. Some government that has occupied your land whose, whose armed soldiers are there to enforce their laws and to collect taxes for Rome. And so Zacchaeus would have been a very hated man, a traitor to his own people. And not only had Zacchaeus made the decision to turn his back on his own people, in a sense when he did that, he turned his back on God. He said they called Zacchaeus a sinner. And that was really a technical term. 
they had certain categories of people. Like, you know, if on the census today, you know, a blue-collar, professional worker, sinner, you know. Sinner was just one of those categories. And certain people fit into that category, and that's who they were. They were sinners. And that meant that good people, like you and me, would not associate with them, no matter how wealthy, no matter how influential they might be. Zacchaeus was a man like that. He was a sinner. And he was far from God. Oh, and one other thing. He was short. I had the uh, the pleasure uh, this winter of being up in the loft with the grade school kids during their great adventure. Maybe sometime if you're ever worshiping in the community center, you can hear them up there, you know, clapping their hands and stomping their feet and singing. I was amazed at these songs that they sing and these people who lead the songs, they have choreography and they're, you know, doing all this. It's just amazing. It brought back memories of when I was a kid in Sunday school, you know. We were, we were the same way, you know. Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. Yeah, we went crazy, you know. We just... We worshipped in those days. Zacchaeus was the wee little man. He was short. Now, I'm a short man myself, and so I, I sympathize with Zacchaeus. I know some of you will remember when I first came to Orchard Hill, I, we actually had a pulpit, and I would preach from behind the pulpit. And I was here for like three weeks before people figured out where the voice was coming from, you know? Being short's no fun. It's not fun. It was not fun for Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus's life is just not what he'd hoped it to be. He'd made some choices. He decided it would be worthwhile to turn his back on his people, to betray Israel, to, to leave God in order to have wealth. And he had wealth, but it was not satisfying. And then he hears that Jesus is coming to town. Wonder what he'd heard about Jesus. Wonder what kind of stories he'd heard about Jesus and the things that Jesus would say about God and God's love for people. I wonder if maybe it just brought to flame a little bit of light in the heart of Zacchaeus, who's living a hopeless life. And Zacchaeus wants to see him. So he decides he can't get through the crowd. There's going to be a huge crowd there. You know, he, this short guy trying to make his way through the crowd, a crowd of people who hated him, by the way. That was not going to work. So he has this idea. I could climb up a tree and see and hear Jesus from there. It sounded like a good idea. You know? So that's what he does. He runs on ahead to the road where Jesus is going to be coming down, and he climbs up in a sycamore tree. There's actually a sycamore tree um, in Jericho today that's kind of fenced off, and it's called Zacchaeus's sycamore tree, and it, it isn't. But it's a great picture of what a sycamore tree would have been like back then. They're, the big trunks kind of gnarled and twisted and low branches, an easy tree to climb up in. So Zacchaeus climbs up in the tree, and along comes Jesus, and this crowd of people. And Zacchaeus is saying, this is going to work out perfectly. You know? And Jesus comes and he stops right under the tree. And Zacchaeus is thinking to himself, I get to hear what Jesus has to say. And then Jesus looks up. And he stands there and looks. 
And everybody else looks to see what Jesus is looking at. And it's Zacchaeus up in the tree. And suddenly everybody's looking and pointing and laughing. And it's got the makings of being the worst day in Zacchaeus' life ever. This guy who thought he was so proud and wealthy is now the laughing stock of the community. Up in the tree, Zacchaeus, up in the tree. How many decisions do we make in life, you know, that seem like such a good idea at the time, you know, and afterward you're saying, what was I thinking? People can be so stupid. Heard about a bank robber recently, you know, the, the give me all your money note that he wrote was on stationery with his name and address on it, you know. I've done stupid things like that. I'm sure you have. Well, maybe not quite like that, but I mean, stupid things like that where you just say, oh, what was I thinking? You know, and then you have to live with the consequences of your actions. The worst one for me, I've told you about before when Sally and I first moved to Colorado, we decided we wanted to do some, some painting, some landscape painting. So we went up to Estes Park and spent the, spent the day painting. It was not a good day and, uh, it didn't go quite like we had expected it to. So we decided we'd head home early and I'd gotten some paint uh, on my pants. And so Sally, good wife that she has said, I better get that off of there before. For it, you know, I'll never get it off. So she took some of the paint thinner we had and, and rubbed out the paint from my pants. And we decided since we were leaving earlier than we'd expected to, rather than just taking the highway 25 back down to Denver, uh, we'd go through the mountain route. And so we're enjoying it because, you know, the mountains were still pretty new to us at that point, enjoying the ride. I'm sitting there, and it's like my leg was going to sleep or something. It was getting really tingly. And I realized it's that paint thinner on my pants. So it was just me and Sally in the car. So I did what any of you would have done. I just unfastened my belt and pushed my pants down in around my ankles while I'm driving. So I'm driving through this mountain road with no pants on. And we come around this bend in the mountain road and there are all these cars and people and this guy holding up this sign saying, driver survey, pull off the road. Now, see, it just seemed like such a good idea at the time, you know. And I know that's what Zacchaeus is saying. It seemed like such a good idea to climb this tree, you know, and, and get to see Jesus. And now he's the laughingstock. But not to Jesus. And Jesus says, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to go to your house today. And when Jesus says that, everybody is offended that Jesus would go to the home of a sinner They had thought that Jesus was a man of God, but no man of God would go to the home of a sinner because to eat a meal with someone, you know, was to to have fellowship, to was kind of a a sign of acceptance and friendship. Jesus goes to Zacchaeus' home and Mrs. Zacchaeus, I think, probably fixed this incredible meal fit for a king. And the real king was sitting there, reclining there at the table with Zacchaeus. I don't know what the conversation was like that evening. But something that Jesus said touched Zacchaeus' heart. And he realized his life doesn't have to be like it's been. And he stands up. And I'm picturing them out in a courtyard eating. And a lot of people kind of staring in through the windows. And Zacchaeus says to Jesus, I've been, I've been a dishonest tax collector. And Jesus, I'm going to give away half of what I have to the poor. And anybody I've cheated, I'm going to give them back four times what I've what I took from them. And suddenly there's hope born in Zacchaeus' life. Now, what about us today? 
you know, might that be true for us today? Might we, when we're facing those really tough situations in life, be able to believe that Jesus could come into our lives and bring us hope as well? And my answer to that is, if the resurrection is true, and if Jesus is alive today, and if he has overcome death, then it's true. But at the cross, it seemed like a hopeless situation. For those followers of Jesus, his disciples, who stood, I would imagine, a safe distance away from the cross, as they looked at those feet of the man who just hours before that had washed their feet, as they watched Jesus' feet being crushed by the mallet and the spike that was driven through the flesh into the wood, do you think there was any hope there? As they saw the eyes of Jesus, who had seen good in every person he ever met, filled with blood that was running down his head from the crown of thorns that had been pushed down onto his head, do you think there was any hope there? When they took that lifeless body of Jesus down from the cross and laid him in a cold, dark tomb, do you think there was hope? No! Hope was dead. And if Jesus died on the cross and that was the end of the story, then there is no hope for you or for me or for the world at all. Hope is dead. And that's the end of the story. Unless, unless it's true, unless it's true that Jesus came back from the dead, unless it's true that what he said would happen actually happened, that he would give his life as a ransom for our sins, that he would die on the cross, and that three days later he would rise from the dead. If that was true, it changes everything. I mean, if the, the, the proclamation of the angel was true, it is the greatest proclamation in the history of the world. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the empty tomb where he lay. And if Jesus is alive today, then it says to me that not only is Jesus alive now, 2,000 years later, but he is the most powerful person who ever existed, that he is the eternal God, that there is nothing that he cannot do. And no matter how hopeless the situation is that you face in your life today or you will face tomorrow, Jesus is able to bring hope because where Jesus is, hope is reborn. So I would ask you today, what's that area in your life you just struggle to have any kind of hope, any kind of belief that things could get better. I would encourage you, I would invite you on behalf of Jesus to come to Him with that problem, that area of your life. Maybe you're living with the consequences of decisions you made, like Zacchaeus, you know, and you wish you hadn't made the decision, but it's too late now, and every day you live with the consequences of that decision. God loves you. God wants to give you hope. And Jesus died and rose again so that you might have hope because where Jesus is, hope is reborn. I believe in the resurrection. I believe that Jesus died on the cross, hands and feet held to the wood by metal spikes. I believe that his body was pierced by the soldier's spear and even the sun was darkened as all creation grieved the death of God's eternal son. I believe in the resurrection. 
I believe that his body was placed in a borrowed tomb where it lay for three days. I believe that the power of God, his heavenly Father, brought life to his dead body, blowing the stone away from the entrance so that all might see that he was no longer there. I believe in the resurrection. I believe that the unbelievable story of the women was true, just as the angel announced, he is not here, he is risen, just as he said. I believe in the resurrection. I believe that there is no force in the universe that can stop, hinder, contain, or successfully oppose the risen Savior, my Lord Jesus Christ. No nails are long enough to hold him to any cross unless he willed it to be so. No tomb can be sealed so tightly by Pilate or Herod or Caesar himself. Were there an army of a thousand men guarding it, it would make no difference. He said it would happen. He said he would lay down his life and take it up again, and he did. I believe in the resurrection. I believe that Jesus appeared to 11 discouraged, defeated, demoralized disciples in a room where the doors were locked and all hope was gone. I believe that he showed them his nail-pierced hands, his spear-pierced side, and they fell at his feet and they cried out, My Lord and my God. I believe that in the days that followed, hundreds saw him alive and all doubt was removed and all fear gone. What could they do to them? Jesus was alive. I believe in the resurrection. I believe that Jesus is alive today as powerfully and perfectly alive as he was 2,000 years ago. And for all time past and yet to come, I believe that he empowers his followers to follow in his footsteps, to fight the forces of evil and to find their peace and joy and eternal life and hope in him alone. I believe in the resurrection I believe that Jesus calls women and men, youngsters, and those whose earthly lives are almost spent to join him in changing the world, one heart and one life at a time, starting with their own. And one day, one day soon, he will come again on the clouds of heaven with an army of celestial warriors whose numbers are beyond counting and whose power is beyond imagining. And he will establish his eternal kingdom where there will be no more soldiers or spears or sepulchers, or battles, or bleeding scars, or crosses on which men die. And I believe all of this, because I believe in the resurrection. Let's pray. Jesus, we believe that, that as great as the power was that created the universe, that was that great power that gave life to your dead body. I believe that you died in my place, in our place on the cross, and that you're showing us that even death, even death cannot defeat us and destroy our hope. I thank you, Jesus, for the resurrection. I thank you that you are alive. We worship and praise you, not as some man, some great moral teacher who lived 2,000 years ago. We worship you today as our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You are risen. You are risen indeed.